listening to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 6th of May 2018, entitled Hindrances of Satan, Part 8. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you don't know already, you can be opening your Bibles to... The two passages of Scripture that we have been focusing on in these last few weeks, first of all in Ephesians chapter 6, which we've been looking at since our conference in February, and then to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll take our reading first of all from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, for nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameable we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children." Ye should walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. They please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always." The wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, 
Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. About 12 years later, the apostle Paul wrote also to the church at Ephesus, In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, thank you again this morning for this time that we have in your word. We ask now that by the power of your spirit, you would speak as you know the hearts of every listener. You know the hearts of this man that stands before them today. Lord, they need not the words of man, but they need your words. Do the work that only you can do for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I remind you as we continue this morning, of course, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, he's encouraged them in the fact that he has been able, and of course his focus in all of this, he has been able to continually, boldly proclaim the gospel, that he's done so in the face of all the things that have been thrown against him, and that, that it is really through the work of this gospel that the only joy that they have is that in those that have come to know the Lord because they heard that gospel not as the words of men but as the words of God. He shared with them how that in the midst of all this that they've tried to give them the truth but they've given them their very own soul. They've poured their hearts out to them. Twelve years later, we find this same apostle Paul as he's writing to the church at Ephesus And he's declaring unto them that they put on the whole armor of God because this battle that we are facing is real. We've seen the reality of Satan's presence, the realm of his power, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and that's the battle that we're in. The reason for that program Simply, he wants to destroy you, and he wants to destroy every human being that he possibly can. 
we find that we've looked at a number of things and we said we're looking at these things not because we are defeatist in this battle that we're in, but because we want to be victors and we can be victors. And everything that we're seeing here is how that we can be victorious over everything that Satan throws against us because even in writing to the church at Thessalonians, he says clearly there in verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. He's been standing strong. He's been proclaiming the gospel. Souls are being saved. God is doing a wonderful work through this man. And yet, even having to, there's other things that we would have done. There's something we would have been there with you more if we'd been able to. But Satan hindered us from doing that. We say, why do we look at these things? Because, folks, Satan will hinder your life. And as we've seen in many of the cases, those that are being hindered don't even realize that they're being hindered. The apostle Paul knew that he was being hindered in some areas, and he was determined to be victorious. Twelve years later, he's still talking about this battle and putting on the whole armor so that he can stand against that same enemy that was hindering him 12 years earlier. And his prayer for them is that he can speak boldly that gospel message. We've seen how that it is Satan, not God. It is Satan that will hinder you from coming to church, from coming to the house of God if it is a church where the truth is being proclaimed and preached. He doesn't care if you go to a social gathering somewhere that calls it a church. Satan will do all he can. If you're lost, he wants to keep you out of church because he doesn't want you to be under the sound of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, there were those that didn't think they needed to be assembling with others. But he said, exhorting one another, building each other up, encouraging one another. It's Satan that's got a blinder on you if you think that you can do this all alone out there. He wants to get you alone. He wants you on your own. He said, don't forsake the coming together with your brothers and sisters in Christ like some people are, but come together and exhort one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Sinner, he doesn't want you under the preaching of the gospel. There are many places called churches today that you could go that the gospel is no longer preached if it ever was. Christians, he doesn't want you. He'll give any excuse he can to keep you from gathering with God's people where you can be encouraged, where the Word of God will be proclaimed, where that you can be stronger and be part of the body of Christ in serving Him. We looked at a lot of those excuses. He'll hinder you from being consecrated to Christ, from walking the life that is worthy of God that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He doesn't want others, Christian, he doesn't want others to see Christ in you. Satan will hinder. He'll hinder the Christians from carrying out the commission of Christ that he's given to you. We've looked at a lot of things there, and we know that ultimately this is what all this comes back to is to stop the gospel, to stop the proclaiming of the gospel, to keep people from being under the gospel, to keep the gospel from being proclaimed individually and within God's house. He wants it to stop. He uses people. 
that aren't even aware that they're being used, just like he did Peter trying to say to Jesus, because he loved Jesus, no, 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 you can't go into Jerusalem and be hung on that cross and, and rise the third day. We don't want that for you. Peter was talking out of the love of his heart. He was as sincere and genuine as he could be, but it was Satan that was using him, and Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Satan was trying to hinder the work of God, even through the compassion and care. He uses the powers we've seen, the powers of, of authority, whether it be in religious realms or civil realms. He uses the possessions of the people and causing them to selfishly desire the things of this world met more than being honest with God. He uses persecutions, problems. We saw last week how he uses pretense, pretending, falseness, even when he, when he can't do anything else and he can't get you with the truth, he'll use people to lie about you. He'll set up things that are not even true against you. He'll do anything that he can if it will hinder you from carrying the gospel to someone else. I want you to notice something else this morning, though. Listen carefully, because whoever you are, if you're here and you don't know Christ, Satan wants to blind your ears. He'll get you thinking about anything else in the world. He'll get you considering anything else in the world except what Jesus Christ has done for you, your need for your sin to be dealt with. Christian, realize this. We've seen he wants to stop you from making a difference in this life. But you know one of the other ways that he does that, not just from keeping you from proclaiming the gospel, Satan will hinder you or even continuing with Christ. We've all seen many that one time ran the race well, that one time walked with God, that one time were being used of God in wonderful ways where the, the things were happening in their lives, and yet now we see them on the sidelines, discouraged, despondent, no longer running the race. We find that in Galatians chapter 5. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to another church here. We find that this one was just a few years before that he wrote the one to, to Ephesus. But he says there in Galatians chapter 5, notice what he says down in verse 7. He says, ye did, past tense, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Paul's asking the Christians in the church at Galatia. That's where the Christians were gathered. And he says, you, you, you that are there in that church, you did past tense you did run well. There was a time when you were running this race well, this Christian race, this Christian walk that you're in. You did it well. But what happened to you? Why aren't you still running that race well today? He said, who did hinder you that you should not Obey the truth. 
We've been looking at that in our Sunday morning Bible study on does the truth really matter? And this is one of the things that we said tied right in. What was it? That ye should not obey the truth. He don't care how you rationalize it. He don't care who you listen to. He don't care what kind of off-the-wall ideas that you come up with. If it's contrary to this book, he loves it. He loves it. Why aren't you obeying the truth? Instead of obeying your heart, which is deceitful above all things many times, obeying those that are not God but are being given to you of man, why is it that at one time you ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? He said, that persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. He said, I guarantee you, <laughs> it's not God. It's not the one that called you to this salvation that is hindering you from obeying the truth, that is hindering you that did walk well. How does God keep a Christian from walking well? God doesn't, does he? God would never want any Christian not to walk well. Why is it sometimes we convince ourselves that we're right in God's will, that we're doing exactly what God wants us to do when we're totally out of God's will and out there doing the things that we want to do? Paul's saying to the church, hey, don't blame God. Don't blame God for the situation that you're in when you're not where God wants you to be. It's not him that called you uh, that is persuading you of this. It's that same enemy that will use whatever he possibly can. Notice that he uses all kinds of people for doing this. He says in the very next verse there in Galatians, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. He uses other people to trouble you. You see other people's problems, other people's difficulties. You know, how many people, how many people have told me the reason that they're not in church today is because there's too many hypocrites there. They're not looking for God. They're trying to look at the faults in everybody else. I'm not going to go down there. <laughs> Too many hypocrites down there. I shared with them this morning, the elderly gentleman that I spoke to, spoke to that said he'd been faithful to God all of his life, but when God took his wife five years ago, and I mean, he was approaching 90. He'd had a pretty full life, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't understand why God had taken his wife from him. And he hadn't talked to God lately because of that. You see, what we need to grasp and understand is that he'll use any stumbling block, and sometimes it doesn't take much. It only takes a little bit of leaven in that dough to make it rise. <laughs> a little bit of leaven is going to leaven the whole, the whole bunch. And we need to understand that the same thing with people. They'll throw things into our lives. He says here, I have confidence in you the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he is. If other people are affecting your life, helping or convincing you not to continue your walk with Christ because of the things that they have done, then when we stand before God one day, is that the excuse that we're going to be? Well, no, God, I wasn't there because of you. I was there because I didn't like that other person. 
He uses stumbling blocks. This is one of the passages that God used to, to speak to me in a very real way concerning stumbling blocks in Romans chapter 14 many, many years ago. He says, first of all, notice that uh, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 13, he says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. <laughs> we like setting up as judge and jury over other people many times, don't we? Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In other words, instead of judging what the other person is doing wrong and how they're doing it so badly and how they're messing up so badly, why not judge if you've been a stumbling block in causing somebody not? Why not be looking at yourself and what you could have done to keep that person from stumbling that stumbled? It's easier for us. It's easier for us to look at the other person and point our finger and say, well, they're not doing very well. I'm sure glad I'm doing better at this Christian thing than they are. He says, hey, let's not be the judge of others, but let's look at ourselves. Let no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Just make sure that you are not that one that's causing somebody. Yes, that person will have to answer because they may not be serving God because they've seen you acting as a hypocrite. I said, well, don't worry about judging them. You judge your own actions that you may have put there. The verse right down below that that God really spoke to me through is in verse 21. He says, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended was made weak. Now, he's using here that to eat meat, a lot of people were offended by eating meat. Some people today are still offended by eating meat. He said, well, even if you like to eat meat and you know it's okay to eat meat, if you know it's going to offend somebody else or cause somebody else to fall or stumble or be weaker, hey, man, lay off the meat. He says, you may think you got this drinking thing under control. You can handle that wine. <laughs> you can do fine. I enjoy it. I like it. I love it. <laughs> He says, well, how about instead of considering what you like, what might it be doing to your brother that's not as strong as you are? <laughs> it is good neither to eat flesh, eat flesh, eat meat, nor drink wine, nor anything. You can use anything in there you want. He's used the eating and the drinking, whereby thy brother stumbleth. if It causes him to trip up. Or another brother is offended. Or another brother is weaker. Hey, if your joy means more to you than what it does to other people. And you see, folks, it's just like the, the whole thing with the drinking of wine. Christians have argued over that the whole time. I got news for you. Whether or not you take a drink of wine is not going to get you into heaven or keep you out of heaven. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to make one ounce of difference in whether you're saved or whether you're not saved. And how dare you set your up on some holier than thou because, hey, man, I got this thing licked. They don't. No, he's saying, look at your life. Is there anything in your life that may be causing somebody else to stumble, that may be causing somebody else to be weaker, that maybe somebody else is offended? It may come as a shock to you, but your pastor used to love the taste of wine. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, I thought that stuff was fantastic. <laughs> And some other things that I shouldn't have been drinking as well. And there was a time when I abused those things. 
People say, well, you know, it's okay to drink, but you're not supposed to get drunk. I'm absolutely flabbergasted at different people's opinions of being drunk. (laughs) Well, the Bible tells you not to allow anything to control you. I got new. When you start acting different than you would without it, then it's having its effect on you. But I, I enjoyed it. And you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm a teetotaler, okay? But that's, I didn't do that so I could be holier and, and, and have a better position with God than you do because you may have a drink or something. I can tell you from the depths of my heart, when God spoke to me through that verse, I didn't quit drinking because I didn't like it anymore. And, and, and though I had been abusing it in the past, I felt that I had it totally under control, just a little drink here and there and somewhere else. God didn't convict me and condemn me for that. What God spoke to me, because I've seen it too many times, I can take people right now, their lives are being destroyed by that stuff. It does take control of people, and everybody thinks they control it until they're down and they're depressed and they're down and out, and just one more will make them feel a little bit better, and one more will make them feel a little bit better. Why? I'm just saying, folks, we have an enemy. We're in a battle, and Satan will use anything he can. And that's one of the easiest things that he can use in people's life just to make them stumble, just to trip them up, just to make them weaker. You know, God's not going to bring down a bolt of lightning because you choose to have it in your life. I'm just saying, if there's anything in your life that can cause me, you see, I don't regret it. Would I still like the taste of that wine if I took a sip of it? I probably would. <laughs> I'd probably like it a lot as far as the taste of it, just like I used to. Will I do it? No. Not because it makes me a better Christian than you, not because that I don't like it, but because I've seen it destroy so many lives. And if me taking even one drink can cause somebody else to stumble, so I just I don't I don't want it in my house. I don't want it around me. I don't want it in my body specifically because of what it does to others. The Bible says Satan wants to keep you from continuing on. You did run well, but what happened? Why are you not? There are many people that did run well that are not running well now, not because of what they did, but because of what we did or what we have done or what we are doing. I was just saying, hey, don't be the stumbling block. Don't be the one that makes them weaker. So no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to argue with people about it, and I'm not going to love people less, and I'm not going to judge people for it. But I'm just saying, God, God's word is never wrong. It gives us principles, and what He's saying here is, hey, look, the devil's going to try to make people stumble and fall and mess up in their Christian walk. And I would just encourage. He says, look at yourself. Is there something, anything in your life, it happened to be that with me, and he happened to mention that specifically in that verse, but it can be anything that will cause another person to stumble or be offended or be weak. Are you willing for the sake of another, or does your own liberty mean more to you? (laughs) Your own enjoyment mean more to you? The Bible says that Satan wants to hinder people from continuing for Christ And he uses stumbling blocks. And what he's saying here is, please, try to make sure. If you are running well, try to make sure that you're not the one that 
is a stumbling block for somebody else that isn't. Notice something else. He not only uses stumbling blocks and specifically other people and things in life to do that, but notice, notice in the book of Job, I mean, man, we can all turn to Job when we think that we've really, really got up against it bad and, 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 and things just can't get any worse. Well, look what happened with old Job. Now, in Job chapter 2, I want you to, to notice something. I mean, Satan and God are having a conversation about this man called Job, and the Bible says in, in chapter 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. This is a verse that we looked at a few sermons back, and, and right in the beginning we said that, you know, he's real, he's out there, here he is talking to God. Where you been, devil? I've been out there going up and down to and fro in the earth where all those people live. The Lord said unto Satan, this is interesting. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against him, to destroy him without cause. Even though you've been trying to stop this guy, even though you've tried to destroy him, look at Job. I mean, he's outstanding. This is a guy that's living the life he ought to be living. He's doing what, what God looks at him and says, hey, you can look in the whole earth and you won't find another one like this guy here, this one called Job. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Hey, listen. You know I've been coming against him, and you're saying that even though I've been coming against him, man, he just keeps walking right. He keeps doing it right, but I got news for you, God. Skin for skin, all that a man hath will he give for his life. He'll give up everything if he's got it. If it's for his own life, he says, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse the day to thy face. He might have stood against all the things that I've brought, but apparently there was a barrier here that Satan couldn't go beyond, and he's trying to convince God, God, well, listen, if, if you go out there and you, you bring something against him, flesh, you threaten his life, and, hey, he won't be such a perfect guy anymore after that. Verse 6, and the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. <laughs> Save his life. Boy, we could get into a lot of things here, folks. This guy hasn't done anything wrong. He's living godly. I mean, time, you know, something bad starts coming into our life. Oh, God, I didn't deserve this. Why me? Why this? I don't deserve this, God. Get angry with God about it. God says, Satan, okay, you can have him in your hand. You can't have his life. You can't cross that, that line. Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Anybody ever had a, a, a sore boil on your body? Man, it's painful, isn't it? The Bible says 
Poor old Job was covered from the top of his head to his feet. He's covered in these sore boils because Satan brought him against him. And he took him a posture to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Here's the most upright man walking on the face of the earth, and yet here Satan comes against him. Listen. Satan will use stumbling blocks. And just like he uses people to do these other things, he will use stumbling blocks to keep people from continuing in the Christian walk. Anything he can use in your life that will make them weaker, that will make them to stumble, he'll do it if you'll let him. And you may not even realize that he's doing it. And don't get old holier than thou because that you can somehow be a greater Christian because you do this, that, and the other. No, I'm talking about how about trying to make some other people greater Christians. Be willing to sacrifice. Poor old Job. I mean, he is man, he's doing the best he can, and yet suddenly his whole body is covered in these sorbal. That was Satan. This was a conversation between God and Satan. Satan not only uses stumbling blocks, he uses sickness. He'll bring things, physical things into our lives to try to discourage, to try to knock us down, to try to destroy us if he possibly can at all. Did he succeed? You see, do you remember what happened in chapter 1? You see, Satan had already taken all of his possessions He'd taken his finances. He'd taken his home. He'd taken his family. By the time we get to chapter 2 of this conversation, Job hadn't got anything left except himself. Everything else is gone. And yet he's still walking with God. Even though he's left everything this world had for him, he's still walking with God. But Satan says, oh, yeah, but now let me get to his flesh. Let me get him where it hurts. And here, he's using this physical sickness. People get sick a lot of times, and I heard a preacher say one time, and I think he should have explained himself a bit better. He said this person was sick because of sin. Well, he wasn't talking about because they were just such a vile sinner that they brought this sickness on themselves. The fact is, is that some people do bring a lot of things on themselves because of their sin. But ultimately... It's all because of sin in the garden. That's where all the bad things come from, folks. It is there ultimately. But just because, and just like all of his friends, remember all the counsel that comes afterwards? Job, man, you must have really upset God. <laughs> you did something terrible, Job. <laughs> Job, why did you do what you Job hadn't done anything. Job has just been living a godly life. God has allowed Satan to come and attack Job. Why has he done that? Why has he caused that to come on his life? Because God has used this book, even as we're here today, all these thousands of years later. You can read the whole story. In the end, he had it restored to him <laughs> far more than he ever had in the beginning. Job was still walking with God at the end, and God has used this account Touch many people's lives down through the year. I don't know why you might be facing what you face. People come to me because my preacher, they expect me to be able to answer to God why they're sick or why they're going through this. I don't know. 
I can tell you one of the texts I received this week is, you know, there's somebody here that's not here this morning. I wouldn't dare call their name, but because they're going through some really, really hard times, and in the end, I don't know what else that I can do about it. This world is real, and it's cruel, and it's not always fair. And we're fighting a battle, and that battle is for the souls of men. And Satan wants to do anything he can. One of the ways he will attack you is to hinder you from continuing your walk with Christ. He'll use stumbling blocks. He'll use sickness. The apostle Paul, he was doing a pretty good job for God, I would say. <laughs> he was out there going pretty strong in the work of missions and establishing churches and preaching and teaching. And yet we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Does God allow sickness to come in your life just so you can be miserable? Does God want that sickness for you? No way. But that doesn't mean that God won't allow it for your betterment. Paul said, hey, I mean, he had prayed three times for this to be removed from him, this thorn in the flesh. He didn't tell us what it is. He prayed for it to be removed, but God wouldn't remove it. Why? Because he wanted Paul to be suffering, to be miserable? No. Paul said he didn't do it because he knew if he did, I'd get all proud, say, hey, hey look what my prayer did, and Look what I'm doing. I'm too good for all of this. He said, no, lest, lest that I be exalted above measure. Unless I get a bigger head than I ought to have, God has allowed this. I don't know all the reasons. I believe, as sure as I'm standing here and still breathing thus far in the service this morning, that God wants only the best for you and that I believe that God is able to take and touch anything in your life. I believe in divine healing. I believe that God can take away anything, but I believe if you're a child of God and you're walking with God and you're where God wants you to be, if it's in your life, there's a reason for it to be there, and God would not allow it to be there because when he says that all things shall work together for good, to them, to them that are called by his name, for all things shall work together for good. Do you believe that, does that say that everything is good? Them that walk according to his purpose, his life, you're walking with God. He'll bring all those things together in your life for you, the bad, the good, the indifferent. It's all going to be there only to make you a better person for your betterment. Them that love God, for them that are called according to his purpose, that's God's only purpose for you is goodness, folks. And God will bring it all together. The enemy wants to hinder you. He wants to hinder you from continuing on with Christ. And he'll use anything that he can. He will use stumbling blocks. He will use sickness if he can. There's something else that he'll use. And we'll give you this in closing this morning. He'll use snares. <laughs> You know what a snare is? I used to use snares as a little kid. Snares, what you, you set to try to catch something in. 
You can set up a snare to catch a rabbit or, or whatever that you want. I set some snares a few years back to try to catch some squirrels in my garden because I didn't mind them being in the garden, but I hated them being in the attic and chewing up my electric cables, and they quit being, very, they quit being cute in a hurry once they gnawed their way in up there. The snare was there for the purpose to catch them. I'm saying that he will use snares. He'll use tricks. He'll use things that look good, but he's trying to catch you. He'll use a snare of pride. Listen to what Paul wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. By the way, if you turn there, I want you to notice exactly the context that this is being given in, lest he miss it. 1 Timothy chapter 3 <clears throat> If you've got any titles in your Bible, it probably says the qualifications of elders and deacons there. And he begins by talking about the office of a bishop, the office of a pastor, if you would. And he says that he's, this man is not to be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. As a Christian, your character's got to be such. Now, here he's saying if, you, if you're going to be called to the office of a bishop, of a pastor, of an elder, then this is something that's got to be in your life. You can't be lifted up with pride. <laughs> If you think you can do this because you're so clever, you're so smart, or you're such a good speaker, or you're whatever, because you're such a great Christian, then the Bible says you're not fit for the job. It says, lest you be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He's the one that wants to bring you down. And if he can get you up here and then bring you down, chances are he'll bring some other people down with you lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So he uses the snare of pride. But down in, in chapter 6 of this same book, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, he uses something else. He says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The snare of riches. They that will be rich will fall. Does that mean it's wrong to have money? No. But he's warning that the, the devil will use that money if he possibly can. He'll use the riches and the possessions. We've already seen how he's used that in others. He'll use it, he says here, as a snare, as a trick to get you away from what God really wants to be doing with your life. And then in the next, the next book, still the second letter to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, notice what he says there in verse 25 and 26. He says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. <laughs> recover them back out snare of rebellion. <laughs> you know, he works in our hearts, folks. And all we have to do is begin to rebel against the, the truth. Against He's talking about here that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. And it's only through repentance that that's going to take place. Satan will hinder in all of these areas. But if you're here and you're a believer this morning, 
You need to understand that he wants to hinder you from going on with Christ. He's going to fight you, but he doesn't have to win. That's what we're talking about. We've already talked about putting on that armor of God. We've already talked about the importance of as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're fighting a battle against spiritual darkness out there, and you don't have anything to fight it with. You don't have the armor to stand against Satan. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you from coming to Christ because he knows once you come to Christ, he can't get to you without getting through Christ, and he can't get through Christ to get to you. Don't let Satan hinder you and the things that God wants to do with your life, Christian. Don't let him hinder you in all these areas that we see. We are victorious. Again, how might Satan be hindering you today? As he did Paul, he was just hindering Paul from being where he would have been otherwise, being at Thessalonica, being there with, the, with these people. Is God hindering you from being where? I mean, is Satan hindering you from being where God wants you to be today in your life? And what about in chapter 2, verse 7? We read, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he taketh out of the way. Only he that now hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. The battle will remain until the Lord comes and puts him away forever. As long as the Lord hasn't returned, this battle is real for each and every one of us. And I guess that my, my, my greatest concern for you is to see so many times, matter of fact, I'd say the majority of the times, that Satan is hindering the Christian walk. He's hindering it without our knowledge. We need to be aware of his devices. We need to be aware of the things that he wants to do. I can promise you today, if you're here and you're lost, Satan wants to hinder you from coming to Christ, and he'll do anything he can to do that. I can promise you that if you're here lost or saved, that Satan will do all he can to hinder you from being in a group of people called the church where the truth is being upheld, the truth is being preached, the gospel is going forth. He will hinder you to keep you out of that in any way he can. He'll use whatever it has. Understand, you don't have to allow him to win. Christian, he'll hinder you from being consecrated, from truly being set apart for the Lord. He'll hinder you from carrying the great commission, the gospel to all those that need it. He'll hinder you in any way to keep you from continuing for Christ. Let's not let him hinder us. Let's not let the enemy do anything to hinder us in the walk that God's called us to. He says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm going to give you this passage. I know, I lied. I said that last verse was going to be mine, but i got to read this one to you just in closing out this morning because I don't want you to forget. These messages are to help you realize, I don't care how short a time or long a time you've been a Christian, there's an enemy that wants to hinder you. Lost, saved, whoever, there's an enemy that wants to hinder you. But in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's the way the world looks at you, folks. Are we? Can anything separate us from God's love and who he is? The answer in verse 37 is a rounding nay. <laughs> no way. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, doesn't that sound like those same things that he said that our battle was against? He says, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. He can't separate you from God. He can't hinder you. But we're more than conquerors in him that loved us, that gave himself for us. Let's be conquerors today. Let's go forth in this battle to conquer the enemy, not to be hindered in any way, in even one soul, not making it into heaven because of hindrances in our life. Father, we thank you this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would take and use these things, Lord, to speak to our hearts, our lives. Lord, we don't want to be hindered by the enemy. We want so very much to be used of you. Lord, we see the enemy getting into people's lives day by day by day. All of us could be so much more if we just keep them. They help us. Help us to put on that whole armor. Help us to be willing to stand, to be counted for you, to boldly proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what comes against us. We'll give you all the glory and praise for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 